The Athletic. Totally Football Show. Today, Champions League, Manchester City see off Bayern to set up Real rematch after Madrid chasing Chelsea. It's an Inter Milan semi as Benfica are bested and Napoli mixed. Plus, the weekend, FA Cup semi-finals. Blades look to steal City's treble, whilst Brighton have similar plans to upset United. In the Premier League, it's top v bottom, Bs v villains, Reds v Reds, and it'll be all white on the Thames. Plus, we've got a marquee matchup in the Intertotal. This is the Totally Football Show. How are you doing, listener? It's me, Intertotally quarter-finalist Matt Davis-Adams, feeling, mm-hmm. filling in for James Richardson. I'm joined by three of the Athletics' very best. Uh, good morning, Duncan Alexander. Hello. Joey Durso is also with us. How are you doing, Joey? Hello, very well, thank you. And Charlie Eccleshare. Good morning. Good morning. Um, Joey, you were in Parliament this week, so you've gone from one select committee to another, <laughs> another. Uh, you might say. It feels like this footballers promoting NFTs thing has kind of died down a bit. Is, is that the case? And, and if so, why? It has a bit. Um, well, because all of them have crashed and people have lost money. I mean, it kind of made it quite fun because when I was writing about this stuff a year or so ago, you really had to tread your words carefully. There are all these companies who would breathe down your neck, people saying, you know, this is the future. Um, whereas now it seems very clearly like a load of nonsense. Um that you can just sort of happily say that in Parliament and nobody really um, disagrees. I think it's a bit of a scandal, to be honest, that so many clubs have taken money to promote these things that are so clearly a load of rubbish. And, uh, you know, hopefully that won't happen too much again in future. But yeah, I mean, I mean, crypto loves football because it's the cheapest way to reach young men. And so loads of clubs in the Premier League have, have tied up with these companies. Lots of fans have had kind of disagreed with it, protested against it. And it does look like it's dying a bit of a death, but... Maybe it'll revive from the ashes. Who knows? We all know parliamentary select committees can be a tough place to go. Do you feel that you went there and <laughs> got a Especially on result? a Tuesday. Mm. Yeah, that was all right. Uh, Kieran Maguire, who's you know the famous uh, football finance guy, kind of did me over a bit because they specifically ask you to wear a suit. So I was there wearing my suit, which I only ever really wear at weddings these days. And he rocks up in a Fred Perry polo shirt next to me. I felt like a bit of a mug. <laughs> oh, I thought it looked very nice. That's the non-football stuff. We've got loads of football in a plethora of competitions to cover today. Let's start by reflecting on those midweek Champions League quarterfinals. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network, and sponsored by LiveScore Bet. You can get the latest football betting odds at LiveScoreBet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. Now De Bruyne. Otomicano's fallen over. Holland's in, scores! Erling Haaland. Back in Munich. And powering Manchester City into the semi-finals of the Champions League. Manchester City through to the semi-finals for the third season in a row. They'll face Real Madrid again. Last year it was a classic 6-5 on aggregate after extra time, so we'll have some more of that. Uh, the difference this time, City will be at home in the second leg. Um, Charlie, as, as far as the buying game went, kind of reflective of the other quarterfinals and that there was a distinct lack of jeopardy for, for most of it? Yeah, I mean, there was that... It died when there was that moment where um, there was that low cross whipped uh, across the box. Edison tipped it away and you thought for a second, oh, are Bayern going to score here and make it vaguely interesting? They didn't and City went right at the other end and... Harlan scored uh, with a Pemacano who had a bit of a mare across the two legs. <laughs> um, Putting the no in a Pemacano, you might say. Very much so. Yeah, it was never really a contest. I mean, fair play to City. They were fantastic across the two legs. The control they exerted was amazing. I mean, it's been so long, really, since City have even looked like losing a game or drop. I mean, I know they drew this game, but, you know, it, 
it was effectively a win. Um, yeah, they're, they're, they're just in they're just in that mode where they look like they have complete control over what they're doing, and it's very very hard to find weaknesses. How much of it, Duncan, was City being in God mode and Bayern kind of struggling and, and not being at their best? I didn't think Bayern struggled that much actually. I thought they started pretty well. The first off, they they got down City's left um, again and again, and, and as Charlie said, they put in loads of good crosses. Um, they just didn't really have a striker. They must have been looking at the pitch and going, Erling Haaland, yeah, he's, um, he's quite good. And I think it had sort Why of... Why did we abandon our policy of just signing Dortmund's best players? <laughs> yeah. Um, but it had a sort of vibe of, of the Liverpool-Barcelona game from a few years ago, obviously trailing by three goals. And I think, I do wonder if Bayern had scored early on, whether that would have changed things, because that is the, the vibe of a Champions League quarterfinals sometimes, that, you know, one goal can shift things. But... But they just look a bit toothless up front. And, um, you know, Leroy Sane missed a, a couple of good opportunities. And and it is the difference now with City. They have Erling Haaland. They can hit you on the break. Um, you know, he, uh, our friend up at Meccano almost got sent off um, for hauling him down in the first half. It was then overall because Haaland was marginally off, uh, offside. But, you know, that is a, a new threat. And I think, I think Haaland's going to have quite a fun time against Real Madrid. Do you think that, this is just what we see from City, Joey, and then it gets to kind of the, the crucial stage and, and they can't make it through and they to the inevitably final choke. get to the final and choke, or is that just a, a lazy narrative that I'm peddling? I mean, well, it's happened so many times. I mean, and there is this just sort of this thing about Real Madrid. that they always, I mean, presumably if you're Man City and you go into that game having breezed past a couple more Premier League games and then the, 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 the pressure is it's clearly a real thing, right? It's not like in these Champions League ties, the best team always wins. There's a certain... But I mean, as Charlie was saying, some of that, there hasn't been that magic and unpredictability this time. I mean, I, I just feel a bit sorry for Pamukano, who's not someone I've watched many times, but he's certainly someone all the stats guys will tell you is one of the best defenders in Europe. And this is, you know, a very high profile game that lots of people will have watched. And he had a complete mare over the two legs. I mean, they did, even in the first leg as well, they had chances. But I thought they, they got in behind City a lot more than most teams do. I mean, yeah, maybe it is just they didn't have a striker or if not a striker, they didn't have someone clinical but I mean it is fascinating that that Real Madrid tie because it does something does feel a bit different about City this season and I'm sure we've said that many many times before I mean we never learn our lessons but it's just going to be it's going to be such an interesting game I mean Real Madrid is they're they're really incredible the way they're able to I don't know just keep defying expectations you you always think well surely at some point someone's got to beat this team and no one can find a way to do that. They're but masters, aren't they, Real Madrid, of just replacing one or two bits each year, subtly, and then the machine never yeah. fails. It just carries on. But, yeah, I mean, a clash with City, who are, on paper, the, the, the best team in Europe right now, is, uh, is pretty mouth-watching, yeah. They are, I would say, though, City at uh, Real Madrid are more exciting than they've been. Like, previously, they've won... You know, in that kind of Zidane-Ronaldo era, when they were winning Champions Leagues again and again, you're kind of like... How are they doing this? Like, whereas now at least they've got such exciting attacking players. I mean, like, I love watching Vinicius Junior. Rodrigo was fantastic, and obviously Benzema up front. So they they have slightly evolved, and they do have those younger players coming through. Um, it, it's it, it's going to be a really really fun tie to watch. Yeah, we'll talk more about Madrid uh, later, but also on Wednesday, it was Inter against Benfica. When is a three-all draw not a 3-3 thriller? And well, one team <laughs> a 2-0 up from the first leg, I guess. Inter 5-3 on aggregate, a draw in the return game at San Siro. The most underwhelming of the semi-finalists, maybe Inter? Is that harsh? 
I think the fact they're playing Milan in the semi kind of elevates it, really. I mean, that you know, if I saw that that picture uh, on Twitter last night of the of the fireworks, mm, yeah. yeah, once I saw it four thousand eight hundred and twenty six <laughs> times. So you know, great thinking, lads. Um, but yeah, I think that's we all remember that those those ties as being pretty incredible. Obviously, were they good though? I mean, were they actually mm, good to watch, or were they more just for sort of intense. art like that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's that dreadful final, wasn't there? Was that yeah, Milan yeah. Juventus twenty years ago? Yeah, yeah. Some people will argue that was a good game. <laughs> was it a chess, chess like, yeah, tactical masterclass. Yeah. But um, I mean, obviously, uh, Inter went out that year on on away girls, which can't happen on their own ground, which was a bit. Bit sad, but yeah, I mean, I think I think it elevates it because it's such a massive derby, and, and you know the atmosphere there will be amazing. So, but yeah, I think I think Inter probably are the outsiders. But Charlie Simone Inzaghi's a cup manager, right? He's won the Coppa Italia twice. They're they're fifth in Serie A, but as we know, you don't have to be the best team in Europe to win the Champions League. But mm. it's a long shot for them, right? Yeah, but I think on like the underwhelming scale, or maybe not underwhelming, but surprise. I mean, Milan. Based on the two legs against Tottenham, they they got through it. They won 1-0 with a goal early in the first leg. But I'd say both teams were pretty bad. I mean, it felt like a Europa League tie rather than a Champions League one. And I don't... You know, obviously they've, they've got past Napoli and probably deservedly so, but Napoli had plenty of chances across the two legs. So I, I'd certainly be very, very surprised if the winner of this competition came from that into Milan semi. I mean, it is, it's 2023 and it's Giroud against yeah. Eddie Dzeko in a, in a Champions League <laughs> yeah. semi, which feels Giroud's Premier League years edible. Yeah, yeah, I mean, Giroud's career is just an absolute marvel. The way he just continues... A friend of mine made the analogy, he's like a sort of unfashionable fleece that's... <laughs> it's, it's long it's since it's fashion. It's kind of come back in, but also it's just so comfortable and warm that you can't really get rid of it. And Giroud, his ability for France and for Everton, you know, every team he's been at has tried to upgrade on him. And even the national team brought back Benzema. Like, even at an international level, you can't sign players. They still basically did the equivalent of it. But still, he's there, just there and scoring goals and seemingly getting better. It's amazing. I've got a WhatsApp group with a couple of friends who both watch a lot of football and it kind of fired up about 11pm last night just saying, San Siro, like, let's do it. And, it, and like, I've never been and it's obviously going to get demolished soon. And I think, you know, you can't, you've kind of forgotten about it in recent years when Italian football has been so far behind. And now, you know, it's great for... European football, that there'll be that incredible doubleheader at the San Siro. Yeah, and there's going to be at least one Italian side in the final. Uh, now, who'd like to hear from a sultry-voiced Yorkshireman who knows a lot about Italian football? Producer Charlie, hit the horncastle. feels very strange to say that a sense of inevitability around a Derby della Mandanina in the semi-final of the Champions League had begun to take hold. But I think ever since the draw for the quarterfinal was made and Milan and Inter were put on the same side of what our American friends call the bracket, it gave a real added sense of purpose to both clubs to reach the semi-final and one-up each other. Because, no tale of a lie, whoever comes out of this semi-final and reaches the final in Istanbul it will be lauded over the other team for years to come. It will eclipse anything that they do, well, recently and in the near future. Um, because elimination, even in a semi-final, and let's not forget it's Milan's first in 16 years, it's Inter's first in 13 years since the treble and Jose Mourinho. 
if you lose this game, well, it's the game you can't lose for a start. And if you do, it won't feel like an elimination. It will feel like a relegation. And, you know, that sounds like an exaggeration, but that is exactly what it's going to feel like. And, you know, as delighted as Milan were to qualify and you saw the sort of celebrations at the Stadio Diego Maradona and as you know, happy as the Inter players were um, after overcoming Benfica, between now and those games, the tension is going to be off the charts. They are not going to be able to focus on anything else, which is going to be a concern given both of these teams' place in next year's competition is in jeopardy. But what an advert this is for Serie A, what an advert it is for the city of Milan as well. City of Milan, which has 10 Champions League titles, only Madrid has more in Europe. And we all know that in Madrid, it's one-sided. Milan have seven, Inter have three. Uh, and it's just great to see San Siro and a city that has done so much for football culture have an event like this, have a moment like this when everyone is going to be watching. And uh, I can't wait to be there too. All right, so we touched upon uh, Tuesday's All-Italian game. Napoli won, Milan won, it finished. So 2-1 to Milan on aggregate. Both sides missing penalties. Um, Charlie... We've spoken about the the all Milan semi, which is the predominant narrative here, I think. But Napoli have wasted a great opportunity mm. to win the Champions League for the first time. Yeah, it does feel a bit like that, um, and certainly to get to the final. And but we ha- we have seen that before. You know, often teams who have a lead domestically and then they they kind of blow it or don't hold their nerve. I mean, remember Arsenal in their yeah, invincible say, season. Yeah. Feels, it feels quite, like that. Yeah, it does feel reminiscent of that. And they lost to Chelsea and they, they were on a run at the time. They hadn't lost to Chelsea in, in ages. They, they really had uh, a hex over them. And I admit they got to the final a couple of years later, but haven't had many chances since. And yeah, you, you, you do. F- I mean, in the age as well of such stratification where very few clubs dominate, when you do get chances like this, like Napoli had, they will be absolutely gutted about it. As for, for Milan, Joey, Magic Mike Mannion, the, the star of the show <laughs> maybe here, but they've got Olivier Giroud at one end and, and Mannion at the other. If you've got a, a goalie who's up there with the best in the world and a striker still still scoring, maybe they got half a chance of, of winning this trophy again for the first time since, what, 07? Yeah, possibly. I mean, I, I was at that Tottenham second leg as well, um, and it was an absolute stinker. You know, dread- I think saying it could have been a Europa League tie is, is very generous. Um, you know, <laughs> it could have been a League One tie. There was nothing going, but like either side, just nothing at all. Um, but, you know, this is clearly a, a team with some very good players, of Rafael Liao. Um, you know, I, I can't see them winning the final, but <laughs> who knows? As with Real Madrid, a team that's won it seven times, surely there's a, a certain pull and magic to that and maybe that helped them get over the line against this this Napoli team that's been so good all season it's not been a, a vintage knockout stage as Duncan has it but it's going to be a prestige final one way or another given the four teams that we've got left yeah I mean City ironically the the team with the the least history heading there if they do but yeah I mean a few people have said the fact that there's been a World Cup halfway through this season has has impacted a bit but I think just the way the games I mean Possibly the, this we're seeing the the removal of the away goals rule yeah. impacting a bit. 
I think I, I'm a massive away goals rule. Yeah. And it was quite annoying because last season it didn't actually really affect that much. Yeah, there were still great ties. I was there ready with my, this is why you don't go yeah. into the away goals rule take. And I've had to wait, but now here it totally. is. Totally, yeah. This time last year, people think we're going, see, it doesn't make any difference. Yeah. But I think we are seeing it a bit this time. Um, it's just such a great thing. that It's the only time in football you can go from losing to winning with one goal. It's yeah. amazing, the jeopardy. And it just, obviously it can kill ties, but it can keep them alive in a really... Yeah. interesting way yeah so I mean let's just hope the semis are a, a little bit more the second legs of the semis are alive a bit more we, we, we're talking about the road to Istanbul I, I was there a couple of months ago on, on something completely separate um, and a, a couple of people said to me like wow we're planning on having this Champions League final two weeks after this election which is um, an incredibly contentious thing where President Erdogan um, may or may not lose and if he does lose he might not like it very much. Um, you know, do we, we could be seeing army on the streets. We could be seeing um, like massive upheaval in Turkey. And the last three Champions League funders have been moved at short notice. One um, from Istanbul, right? In 2021? Yes, because it was at uh, mm. Porto. Yeah. Um, so it's a, wow, yeah. It might not be. It could end up not being in Istanbul. Wow. Right. We'll have a little break here and then we'll talk Chelsea, Real Madrid next. This is the Totally Football Show, sponsored by LiveScore Bet. With BetBuilder from LiveScore Bet, you can combine markets from thousands of options to create your own bet on the biggest football fixtures in the Premier League, the Champions League, the EFL and around the world. So if you think you can successfully pick the first goal scorer, the final score, the total number of corners and whether there'll be a red card, then use BetBuilder from LiveScore Bet to make up to six selections and get a single bet with the combined odds. Or if you can't make up your mind, you can choose from the pre-built quick bet options. BetBuilder from LiveScore Bet. Building a bet just got easier. Find out more at LiveScoreBet.com or by downloading the LiveScoreBet app on Android and iPhone. It's over 18s only. Full account terms apply. And of course, please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. Hello, this is Adam Hurry, the voice of Football Clichés, a unique podcast on the Athletic Network. A football podcast you might not think you need in your life, but honestly, you will need this in your life. We've just chalked up our 250th episode, which, at a rough calculation, makes about 12,000 minutes, or just over eight days of our lives, spent digging into the previously unexcavated language of football. We've argued about what cometh the hour means, we've heard Pierre-Emil Huyberg talk about food in the most footballery way imaginable. Like, no disrespect to egg. Yeah. But... I'm surprised how flavoury it is. We've selected the pure Europa League 11. We're still on speaking terms with several mainstream football commentators and we'd love you to have a listen to us. Football Clichés is available on The Athletic and wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Also on Tuesday, Real Madrid comfortably through against Chelsea. Another 2-0 win, 11th Champions League semi-final in 13 seasons for them. Never in any real danger of losing here. Um, given that we've spoken about Madrid a little bit already, let's talk Chelsea. Not going to see them in the Champions League for a while, Charlie. Four defeats from four from Frank Lampard, but but maybe this was the, the, the best of the bunch. He actually came with the plan, albeit a slightly strange one. Yeah, it I mean, worked for it, a bit. It, it did, yeah. I mean, it's obviously... 
you know it's bad when you're at the point of kind of celebrating a plan working for half a game <laughs> and only losing 2-0. But um, obviously they were playing the best, you know, the European champions. Um, yeah, I mean, they did have some sort of plan. I mean, I wonder, they've now, they don't play on the weekend because they're going to play United, so that game's moved. So they've got a week before Brentford and then another week before Arsenal because of that game being moved. So maybe there's a bit of time to get a few ideas to the players. Maybe that's being generous to Frank Lampard. I'm sure some people say, what ideas? But yeah, I mean, I have to say, like most people, I was pretty staggered when I saw the team sheet. I mean, the amount of attacking players Chelsea brought in at huge expense over the last years is genuinely incredible to then line up with essentially one attacker in a game like this. I mean, really, really amazing. And then to think the players that weren't even on the bench that they've brought in for reasonable money and people like Lukaku out on loan. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think you're at the, you know, the season's now over in any meaningful sense. So I don't know what there is. I guess it's trying to, people trying to make the case that they should be kept on in the summer because it sounds like Chelsea are going to have to make some sales. I mean, I think the, the sight of Mudrick, Felix and Sterling all coming on as a triple sub is, you know, if you want to sum up Chelsea 2022-23, that is it really. I mean, it didn't make any difference and, you know, there's a lot of money there. So, yeah, I mean, I think you'd think João Felix now, they're not going to buy him. So why even play him, really? I mean, sort of make a team out of, of what's going to be there next year, if you can. But I mean, Mudrick at least looks like he has a lot of potential. I know yeah. he's very rough around the edges. And this game was quite symptomatic of how he's been... You know, he it's almost there. It's just the end product isn't quite like when he ran through and missed though he was offside. Um, so at least he's someone maybe, as, as Duncan says, I would certainly be playing him over Jao Felix, who's, who's not going to be there anyway. Mm-hmm. Not often that um, Thiago Silva's wife gets upstaged by Thiago Silva <laughs> in terms of viral content, um, Joey. He, he was critical of, of what's happened this year and obviously it's been... A calamitous first year. Do you have a theory on what the Bowley Clear Lake strategy is? I mean, uh, the more I think about it, the worse I th- the worse I think it gets. I mean, just to take an example, there'll be no European football next season. Say you were in the Europa Conference League, that would be a good opportunity to play your thirty-person squad. Um, if you don't shift a load of that deadwood over the summer, you're going to end up with a huge squad of unhappy players which isn't just a problem in the dressing room. It means you're sort of depressing the transfer values of all these players that you want to then sell for financial fair play and all these other reasons. Um, You know, we hear a lot about this date of June the 30th where there might have to be a fire sale of Chelsea players, but then obviously all the vultures are circling, trying to pick up a bargain. Um, You know, these players that they signed for 60 million, 40 million, they're going to be worth half that now. They've been playing in a, if they've been playing at all, they've been playing in a very um, poor team. Um, I think things are going to get, might get worse before they get better for Chelsea. It must be a weird feeling as a Chelsea fan to just have absolutely nothing to play for in those last few games. They yeah. can't have had that, I suppose, those like dreadful it's seven season. games, right? It's yeah. not a couple of games. It's a, it's mm. a long old run. Well, the, it's also how, how low can they finish in the Premier League? I mean, they're on 39 yeah. points now. Palace. Palace are closing in. Wolves are closing <laughs> in. Bournemouth are closing in. It's, um, you know, I mean, they're not going to go down, but they could finish probably as low as 14th unless it, Something changes. With the thing is, as well, with the sales, only really Premier League clubs will be able to afford a lot of these players. And how much do they want to be? I mean, they won't have a choice, but how much do they want to be selling these players to 
potential rivals. But also, the only players who they're going to get much interest in or money for are, and will show us profit on the books, right, are players that they probably don't want to be losing, like mm. Mason Mount, exactly. Conor Gallagher. You're not going to find people wanting to take Hakim Ziyech and Christian Pulisic's wages. Exactly that. Like The, the amount of players they have who... And, and those guys cost a lot of money. Like They were not cheap. They were, what, in the sort of 60 million bracket? So... And they'd probably blow the wage structure of any mid-table Premier League club. Yeah, they're, they're, I'm really curious to see how this plays out. I know clubs always find a way of sort of making these things make sense financially, but this feels like it's going to be a real challenge. All is not lost for Chelsea fans in the Champions League, though. The women's team play the first leg of their semi-final against Barcelona at Stamford Bridge on Saturday lunchtime. Arsenal, meanwhile, are going to Germany to take on Wolfsburg on Sunday. First time we've ever had two WSL teams in the last four of the competitions, but Arsenal are going to be without Leah Williamson. Lioness's captain suffered a serious-looking injury in Wednesday's defeat at Man United. That means her place at the World Cup is in doubt. That's in less than 100 days from now. Uh, that win, by the way, means United top the WSL. They're four points clear of Chelsea, although they do have two games in hand at do Chelsea. Uh, the semi-finals of the Men's Champions League take place next month. We're going to find out the FA Cup finalists this weekend. That's what we'll talk about next. You're listening to the Totally Football Show with James Richardson, sponsored by LifeScore Bet. You can get the latest football betting odds at LifeScoreBet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. Hard to believe, Charlie. It's already that time of year when we say, oh, it's a shame this isn't being played at Villa Park, really. <laughs> oh, see, I disagree with that. As, really? a, as, a, as a regular at Villa Park, uh, as a Villa, <laughs> which we'll come on to later, I just think it's half the size, right? And I've been to a couple of... Villa, uh, I went to the, the, the League Cup final for Villa against Chelsea, uh, sorry, against Man City in 2020. Um, a semi-final at Wembley has twice as many fans and twice as many people get to go. I think the people who make this argument are either season ticket holders with a million loyalty points or whatever, or people who aren't going to go to the game in any capacity. People like me who have a few points, but not as many as other people. Get screwed o- would get screwed over if it was a smaller venue. That is a good point, actually. I think that the world was changed. Um, what was it 1990 when they had the semi-finals on the same day? Remember, it was um, Man United, Oldham, uh, and then Liverpool, Crystal Palace at Villa Park, and I think that on the I, same day. Yeah, it was the first time they'd ever what, televised different kickoff times. Yeah, yeah. That was there for a while. The same, the the same day. Yeah, and it, and it was the first time I think they televised both. Um, both semi-finals, and it really kind of kicked off a kind of almost the thing we, we take for granted in modern football where, you know, games just flow one into the other and everyone just sits down all afternoon yeah. and your TV eventually says, I'm going to auto-turn off unless you press <laughs> a button. But that, you know, it was, and I think that's kind of lodged itself in the memories of certain fans of a certain age. And, yeah, I don't... I mean, it's a bit sad that the reason the semi-finals are at Wembley is because they just need to make a load of money to pay off the bill for Wembley. <laughs> but, yeah, I don't necessarily disagree that more... It's good that more fans can go. What about you, Charlie? I mean, you could you could put it, I don't know, Old Trafford or Emirates, right, and get get yeah. a large attendance there. Yeah, I mean, I do. I speaking purely from position of nostalgia, I do like. I saw the other day that great Zola goal at Highbury, against Wimbledon '97, and stuff like that is just quite cool. From <laughs> but speaking from a purely novelty point of view, it used to be quite funny seeing two teams playing at a ground. It just I don't know. It just looked uh, quite odd. But that's uh, not an actual concern. That's just like. Uh, quite a fun thing to watch I don't know I think it is just the way it's gone I mean clearly what should happen is it's at when if it's if it's going to be at Wembley it's done at a more considerate time so that fans can actually get back um, so there are actually trains to transport 
tens of thousands of fans. I saw Gary Neville gushing about Villa Park and all, how many great memories he had of semi-finals. And I remember having attended a lot of that game. That's because he won literally every game he ever played there. I think <laughs> that always helped. But that was the gigs uh, goal. Wasn't that was it? the gigs was goal. Yeah. There's also a FA Cup third round where Villa went in two 0 at half time and Van Nistelrooy scored a hat trick. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, Man United in the semis this time around. Their game against Brighton Sunday at half past four. The, the pick of the two, you'd say. Um, Joey, Brighton won their last two meetings against United, although they were both under Graham Potter. Remember those days. So this is De Zerbe's first crack at the Red Devils. We're obviously recording before Sevilla game on Thursday night. That's got to give Brighton a, a big advantage, right? That they've had a free week to prepare for this. Yeah, I actually went to that uh, Sevilla game in Manchester and it was a sort of spectacular meltdown in the last, the last 10 minutes. United looked really, really good in the first half and now they've just got so many injuries I mean on paper like are Brighton really that massive underdogs I mean obviously you know their players haven't played as many of these kind of matches but I think they've been really really good this season Man United with some injuries we can really see Brighton winning this it could be off the back of an extra time not just playing on Thursday night that game especially without away goals it's far more likely that that could go to extra time I mean it sounds like Rashford could be available though which is obviously a huge bonus but no Martinez or Varane yeah. and Harry Maguire is suspended you know, read that Whichever way you. you <laughs> so who's that then? Lindelof and Luke Shaw. Phil Jones Shaw. Play. I think yeah, he's sort of disappeared, hasn't he? Mm. Mm, we'll see. Uh, Evan Ferguson, a doubt for Brighton. Duncan, everybody loves Brighton, don't they? So do we want to see them in the final? Or there's never been an All Manchester FA Cup final before, apparently. No, it's never happened. So yeah, I mean, I think as we said on the pod before, I think Brighton need something out this season you know it's been a bit like Napoli in the sense you know it's been such a great season Champions League qualification or and or an FA Cup would be would be testament to the work that both Graham Potter and De Zerbi have done I think um, yeah I think it's going to be close I don't know I just feel like United might, might edge it though mm, that big game experience maybe um, well 24 hours and 15 minutes prior to the Seagulls and the Red Devils getting it on Manchester City and Sheffield United square off at Wembley City going for the treble Blades close to securing a Premier League return. Um, Duncan, you love a kickoff time. Mm. 4.45? Yeah, not for me. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's getting ready for sports report or, you know, grandstand or something. That's, um, yeah. I mean, obviously City are going for the, the treble, the official treble. United obviously can, can go for the cup treble, which Is I see. Is that seen, Mickey Mouse? Well, mm. the, I seem to remember United fans... Because obviously Liverpool, Liverpool did it in 2001, one, yeah. two years after United did the actual yeah. treble, and a lot of United fans then were like, "Well, this doesn't count." It'd be interesting to see. It's better than the Mourinho treble, though, right? Where you oh, put the Community yeah. Shield. Community in Shield it. is not. not yeah, like I mean Liverpool did do that in 2001. Well, five, that was the five trophies five thing. Trophies, yeah, it was always yeah. a, not really. <laughs> I mean, it's a shield. It's not even a trophy for starters. <laughs> but but yeah, no. Uh, in conclusion, 4:45. There's not much data. I mean, presumably that kickoff time, because that circumvents the um, blackout, doesn't it? Yeah. So presumably that is because of transport. I, I, I mean, I'm assuming, maybe that's being too generous, but. Sheffield United without Tommy Doyle and James McAtee, because they're both on loan from Manchester City. They're on the verge of promotion back into the Premier League. Eight points clear of third place, Luton, with only four games left to play. That kind of makes it interesting, right? Because it, Paul Heckingbottom's rotated his team throughout this FA mm. Cup run, but there's no excuse to do that here. No, I mean, championship teams tend to rotate more than Premier League teams down in the FA Cup. Um, but surely, surely even when a championship team get into the semi-final, we'll go, do you know what, we'll give it a go. I mean, <laughs> although if they are going to rotate, please bring back Alan Cork with his beard from the <laughs> 1993 semi. One of the great images. The All-Sheffields. Mm. Yeah, which then brought around another Arsenal-Sheffield Wednesday oh. final, which probably too many of those that year. <laughs> um, Joey, can you make a case for anything other than a, a win by a minimum of four goals for Manchester City here? 
I'm going to struggle, to be honest. Erling Haaland's never played at Wembley before. Does, really? he, does he get rested here? Does he have any photos of him when he was eight there or something? <laughs> I don't think his dad would have played. No, there, I guess he wouldn't have done. I mean, as a Leeds-born man, he'll be desperate to get one over Sheffield yeah. United, I'm sure. But um, I mean, obviously he's now on 48 goals uh, in all yeah, comps. He wanted to really stat pad. Yeah, he, he could. Yeah. Dixie Dean will be shifting <laughs> on easily in the turf. Clive uh, Allen's 49 well, is in his sight. I just about remember as a kid the Clive Allen thing and people going bananas about like 49 goals in a season. And it has, no one's really... I mean, obviously a few Premier League players have got to 44 and stuff uh, in all comps, but... To, I mean, it's pretty obvious Haaland's going to surpass that. And getting into the 50s is pretty mad. And yeah, like, like Joey said, if he plays, this could be, could be time. Sheffield United are going to use the same playbook they did to beat Spurs, or did Spurs just beat Spurs? Well, the thing with that, I mean, they made something like eight changes. Like you said, they, they haven't, that's what's so odd, and it's just so symptomatic of the FA Cup nowadays, that, as Duncan says, championship teams are as likely, if not more, to rotate. I think that, you know, that was also a, pretty heavily rotated Spurs team in the kind of dog days of the Conte era. So I don't think um, that same approach will be <laughs> in and of itself as successful against the City team. Interesting though, I mean, City have Arsenal on the Wednesday. They've obviously just come off the back of Bayern Munich. So you'd expect they would rotate if there was ever a game to do it. I mean, I mean it's rotating nice for City means putting Phil Foden well, well yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, Phil Foden, yeah. but it, that's it's perfect isn't it because Phil Foden's just come back to fitness yeah. um, you know Alvarez is a perfect you know stand in not really a stand in is his World Cup winner but I mean chance for Scott Carson to slay the ghost mm. of Croatia at Wembley maybe <laughs> yeah big time I did think it was funny the other day uh, as people been like City have a completely full squad no injuries it's just like guys <laughs> <laughs> is that fair I mean Scott, Scott Carson the only Champions League winner in that squad I believe wow, okay. Liverpool in 2005 nice uh, well, it's a tough one for Sheffield United, but as I say, they have had a good week. It looks as though they're going to go up in second place. Elsewhere in the Football League, Luton booked their playoff spot. They drew with Reading after Andy Carroll scored <laughs> and then kind of punched one into the net and, and seemed surprised that he got sent off uh, for doing so. Well, it was a bit of a night for punching the ball into the net in the Championship. Um, ben Wilson, the goalkeeper. Yeah. keeper. Yeah, everyone likes seeing a, an injury time goalkeeper goal of, of merit and yeah but some Blackburn fans were, were unhappy saying that he he used his hands which I, I thought goalkeeper was allowed to do <laughs> in the penalty area yeah uh, well, the, nice dramatic end to that one not so dramatic Gillingham versus Leighton Orient I'm guessing we all saw the, the last 10 minutes of this Leighton Orient 14 attempted passes 11 completed players just standing around having, having a lovely old chat Orient were losing 2-0 but they knew they were getting promoted Anyway. The disgrace of Medway <laughs> should have a Wikipedia page shortly. Was it disgraceful or was it just quite funny? I think that's disgraceful. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Game's gone, uh, you know. <laughs> it's just weird. You, like, you can imagine it in a World Cup because it's huge stakes, but come on, Priestfield on a Tuesday night is, is yeah, I mean, it, I, can, I can see why the other clubs in and around the promotion and relegation areas are disappointed because... You know, football's had a history of mysterious power cuts at times, hasn't it? But mm. particularly the late 90s. Uh, I'm not saying that was the case this week. It <laughs> could just be bad ele electricians in Kent. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, it does slightly devalue the end of the season, I think. All right, well, Gillingham, 12 points clear of trouble. So um, no issues for them. Well done, late Orient. That was the Football League. There's plenty going on in the Premier League this weekend too. And that's where we're going to turn our attention next. 
We're all driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. According to their own survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. Remember the last time you were hiring and how slow and overwhelming it was? Well, you don't need to go through all that again. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent. And because you listen to The Totally Football Show, Indeed is going to give you a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash totally. That's I-N-D-E-E-D.com slash totally. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed at Indeed.com. This is The Totally Football Show, the Sports Podcast Awards Soccer Podcast of the Year. Arsenal versus Southampton doesn't feel like a very Friday night fixture to me, yeah, but the powers that be disagree, so we're just going to have to roll with it. Um, they, if they don't win this, Charlie, we, we really are going to go overboard on, on use of the word bottle, I feel. But yeah, the- Tim Flowers on the blower, um, <laughs> <laughs> just ready and waiting. Yeah, I mean, clearly it's a game they absolutely have to win. They The, the West Ham draw removed any margin for error they have. And yeah, the bottom team at home um who they've never lost to at home yeah yeah the yeah, it's, yeah the Premier it's League, the yeah. best unbeaten home record 1987 danny wallace and all that the last time they went at highbury was that was the same game where glenn cockrell paul davis glenn cockrell i don't know what was before 92 before my time yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> basically for uh for younger li- listeners um I think it, at the time it was one of the longest bands ever handed out. I think Paul Davis elbowed Glenn Cockrell, the Southampton player. Um, probably wasn't that game, but I just, <laughs> as a small child. Well, that'll be in the players' minds, though, going into this. <laughs> well, if, they're, if they're struggling to get up for it, they'll... Do it for Cockrell will be the yeah. shout from the, uh, from the Southampton dressing room, yeah. No, I mean, they, they've been, I think everyone's realised, you know, without Saliba, they lose a huge amount. And they're without Zinchenko for that West Ham game. He should be back, or at least that seemed to be the sense I'm not sure what Arteta said today Saliba's still out but it's been extremely good this season and they've won these types of games although they drew with Southampton weirdly in the away game um, you know that was kind of the end of the Hassan Hootel era um, yeah I think the challenge for them I mean before they played City in February they drew at home with Brentford and there was a slight sense of you know w- was the City game on the horizon in their minds obviously City's the next game here. But I think after what's happened in the last two games, if they don't have a sort of very sharp focus on this game, that would be extremely odd. I mean, they, they surely can't be complacent again after <laughs> two straight games dropping uh, two-goal lead. And that's the first time it's ever happened to them in the Premier League, isn't it? And only yeah. five teams have ever done that? Yeah. It's surprisingly rare. It's not oh, a dangerous lead. No, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, was, I was curious to know, and you'll be able to find this out, Rudy Duncan, how many, game, how many Premier League games you got to... Uh, go for City to have dropped a two-goal lead twice. I mean, I feel like that's something they just never, ever do. Um, and that could be the difference in the title race, I guess. Uh, big game in the top four race on Sunday. I say that, Charlie. It's Newcastle Spurs. 
Spurs are still in it, right? And they, they play better against better teams. I'm, I'm, I'm sort of scratching to try and make an argument as to why they are still in contention for a top four place, but um, they need to they need to win yeah. here probably, don't they? Well, yeah, they're kind of in it according to the... the Maths. The, yeah, maths, maybe, yeah, the... the <laughs> the small matter of the points that they have <laughs> relative to other teams, which is, you know, an important thing. Um, but momentum-wise, it does feel like their top four chances went with that Bournemouth uh, defeat. They were very lucky to beat Brighton as well. Drew with Everton. There's a real malaise that's set in. And they've, also, they've got Newcastle away, then United at home, then Liverpool away in the space of a week. Really tough cluster of games but yeah I think they probably do need to win this game I mean typically they've had a they've had a good record at St James's Park but that was it's kind of irrelevant because that was pre the takeover and Newcastle is just such a different side now um it's going to be really hard for them you know that they're not I I can't see them having control of this game so then it comes down to can Kane and Son or maybe Kudasevsky produce something on the break um but it's, it's just hard to have confidence given the way they've played in their last few games and Newcastle, one defeat at home all season in the Premier League. Going to be interesting to see how they respond, Duncan, isn't it? They were, what, five games in a row winning before they were heavily beaten at Villa. But what we've seen about them this season is if they do have a setback, it, it tends to, to be reversed pretty quickly. Yeah, they've bounced back. I mean, everyone loses to Villa now, don't they, Joe? So it's, uh, <laughs> that's fine. I mean, it feels to me this game's quite... I think it could have quite long-term consequences because say Newcastle win and sort of semi-sealed or get get close to the Champions League and obviously put another nail in Spurs' coffin, you can kind of see Newcastle kind of shopping. A, in the market Spurs might want to shop in the summer, but also maybe even taking some Spurs players. Like, you, you know, Harry Kane might, if he does want to leave, you Ooh. could, I could see him... Going. Imagine breaking the, the Premier League goal record in the... At St James's Park. Yeah. Alan Shearer mm. clapping in the stands. Yeah. So, I don't know. Just, I mean, that's obviously a bit of a long shot, but like, I, it does feel like these two clubs are, at the, at the moment, on quite similar trajectories, but it, it could change quite quickly well, over the next couple of And that's years. what happened with City. I mean, City and Spurs were, remember that 2010 mm. playoff, basically, to get top four, which Spurs won. But after that, you know, and they they were the kind of well, who's going to break the top four cartel? Mm. They felt like the sort of emerging clubs, and obviously City, with their financial power, have just gone where they have. And the fear, I guess, is that Newcastle are going to have a similar amount of backing and will do something similar. Uh, it's Brentford versus Aston Villa on Saturday. Joey, as we mentioned, you're a Villa fan, so some of your brethren feel the team don't get enough love. So tell us about Unai Zunagi, and by Unagi, I mean the, the state of awareness rather than slippery fish. So I went, I went, I was there on a, on on Saturday, and it might literally be the best Villa performance I've ever watched. I mean, um, that's, I think it was. I mean. Um, you know, there, there, there's been a certain amount of, of luck in the last few games. I think there's been some, you know, Emmy Martinez has made some brilliant performances in goal. There's been a couple of howlers um, by, the, you know, the Forest and Leicester games stick out as defensive howlers. And you, you can kind of look at that list and think if a couple of the Villa wins are turned into draws, then it's mid-table rather than challenging for Europe. But this was a complete demolition job on Newcastle, who have been pretty much the best defence in the league over the past year or so. Um, it was, you know, I haven't seen Villa part like that for a very long time. Um uh, yeah, it was, it was just amazing to see. And it does make you think... I, I, one of the kind of oddest things about that game is is tactically, um, you know, the, the Villa blueprint has seemingly been playing out from the back under Emery, um, which actually went horribly wrong in a 4-2 home defeat against Leicester. 
but most of the time has been really good and very different. And, you know, it's been a bit of sort of crowd having to get used to it and not just shout, you know, get, get it out. <laughs> um, but this was completely different. Um, there's been a couple of good articles. Ahmed uh, Walid wrote a good article about this on The Athletic. Martinez just went long every time and the Newcastle were completely bamboozled by it. Um, you know, they were all ready to press the, mm. the, the defence and it just seemed, every time Villa got the ball in defence, it seemed to be running at the opposition goal within about five seconds. I've never seen anything like it, really. <laughs> Ollie Watkins pretty incredible, isn't he? 11 goals in 12. You have to go back to New Year's Day for the last time he didn't score oh, in an yeah. away game. Um, he'll fancy his chances as well here, won't he? Because Brentford, three defeats in a row, feels like it's kind of petering out a little bit for them. Yeah, it does have that feel um, against his old club as well. Um, yeah, amazing. And, you know, he could have scored even more than the two he got. I know he had against Newcastle. Yeah. The post had one ruled out for offside. It's, it is, there is something lovely about watching strikers who are just clearly so confident and just so wanting chances because even if they miss one, it doesn't matter. Like, he's kind of playing with house money. Like, he's just, he's exceeded all expectations. Villa and, well, particularly Unai Emery are just fascinating to me. I mean, he, he's such a strange manager in that he, I don't know, he clearly can do amazing things, but he also has fairly obvious limitations. Um, and I think Greg Evans is done something looking at the fact he often does start really well at his clubs and then maybe there's a slight uh evening out and maybe we'll see that this season maybe it'll take until next for that to happen but it's certainly exciting I mean the way the way Villa play is um I mean Joey said they went longer more against Newcastle but the way they are able to play it out and the energy they play with um they've certainly got the momentum going into this one I mean people often say don't they particularly in seasons like this one why, why are clubs sacking man- so many managers and, you know, what difference I mean, does it make? I mean, just point them to the <laughs> Aston Villa 2022-23 Wikipedia page and go, there you go. <laughs> and it's all the same players that were stinking out the place under Steven Gerrard and loads of fans were saying, oh, you know, we need to get rid of all this dead wood and whatever else. I mean, it's a amazing example of how much you can do just by working with improving what you've got rather than, um, yeah, I mean, Steven Gerrard. I mean, I do think the further that that passes into the rear view mirror the, the worse it gets to be honest I mean it was terrible I feel like certainly some sort of Villa fans felt like they were going a bit mad at the time sort of telling everyone how awful it was, this was and people kind of like you know oh it's not that bad is it and it really was bad I mean certainly just the, the feeling around the place um, and I think the statistics were slightly misleading in that he won quite a lot of his first maybe five games and then for the sort of year after that it was real relegation form um, well, I think everyone tuned in for that game. They you played Manchester United and Coutinho two two yeah yeah and everyone was like well I've seen Villa for the season and they're yeah. pretty good <laughs> they got Coutinho that's fine um, well I guess it confirmed a sort of Gerard bias of that sort of like yeah you yeah. know rescuing situations that look gone but the way they I couldn't believe how bad the football was dreadful it was a kind of like modern day sort of Stoke or something so it narrow was, it was it? so narrow and so yeah. direct and just so physical and the way he spoke was such like agricultural like you know we're, we're, we're going to go and like you know rough up the opposition yeah they're sort of kicking Bukayo Saka yeah. off the pitch and sort <laughs> of learn and learn quick that was yeah. sort of his uh, <laughs> lasting <laughs> legacy I think there's you know if you look if you organise clubs by wage bill and, and it's often a very good slightly depressing but a very good um, reflection of how the you know, Man City is top and, you know, and then you've got teams like Brentford and Brighton that are massively overperforming. You've got Chelsea that are underperforming. You know, Villa, I think, are, are sort of actually 
upper mid-table slash challenging for Europa League in wage bill. Villa have spent a lot of money. Mm. Um, and actually, um, you know, coming 15th, 16th was really mm. a massive... Even though Villa have been in the Championship very recently, have very wealthy owners, a lot of players and a lot of money, and coming 14th, 15th... And a big club, right? Like people... Big club, big club. I mean, I know, look how happy he is. <laughs> but it's true, I mean... Proper club. Proper club. <laughs> FA Cup semi-finals on their ground. <laughs> That's how big they are. 1982 Champions um, of Europe. Yeah, but how exciting would it be for Emery to be managing your club in the Europa, Europa League? Yeah, du- I mean, Dublin uh, next summer. Yeah. Makes you famous, doesn't it? But your refundable uh, hotels. <laughs> <laughs> it is amazing. I mean, like, if ever there was, and this is an obvious point, but, like the example of the quality of the Premier League, when you look at teams like uh, managers like Lopetegui and Emery pitching up at teams that were kind of fighting relegation, it, it is just, the level is so extraordinarily high. And you see that. Like, you know, I'm always struck when covering games and someone like Aston Villa or Wolves comes to play Spurs and just how sophisticated they are like it's such a long way from when the bigger teams would would host opposition who would come and, and they might get results but they do it by sort of sitting deep and frustrating it's just it's so different now it's kind of mad English teams don't win certainly the Europa League every season at this yeah. point they spend they have so much more money than their equivalents in Europe they don't like it they get there and they're like oh look at all these games yeah yeah, yeah. but they won't so that's, yeah, that's yeah. good uh, if goals are your game, you might want to pop down to Craven Cottage this weekend. Leeds visiting Fulham, fresh off the back of conceding 11 in two games. Fulham took their flip-flops off long enough to get three past Everton last time out. Uh, Duncan, I kind of wonder if this is must-win for Javi Gracia or must not concede loads and loads <laughs> of goals. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I imagine I'm not sure what the Spanish is for keep it tight, lads, but um, <laughs> that might be said. But yeah, it's just I don't really understand Leeds. They looked... They improved a little bit, but there were some, some Leeds fans here who were saying that they weren't necessarily... The results were probably a little bit better than than they deserved. And, and lo and behold, they got Hodgson and then Liverpool on, on Monday night. But yeah, I mean, they've, they hold the record actually for the most goals let in in a single calendar month in the Premier League, which was 20 in February last February year. February last year, yeah. They're on 16 at the moment. So, that was the end of Bielsa. So. Yeah, so it's on. 16. There's a couple more games to yeah, do. Yeah, right, so they could, they could smash their own record. But that's, a, that's a very modern Leeds stat, that, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think, yeah, Leeds fans are just a bit baffled. I mean, I think in some respects, staying up by the skin of their teeth and Gracia not getting the job permanently is probably, I guess, the ideal scenario, really, and, and go for one of the managers they wanted originally in the summer. But, but yeah, you feel like Fulham... Fulham are like just free hitting, aren't they, every week now? Um, well, they can go back on the beach now they've secured <laughs> their, their Yeah, they've popped stages. to the shop, yeah. got some supplies, <laughs> got a new towel. Because they forgot Sometimes to bring you them. need to get out of the sun for a bit, don't yeah, you? Yeah, just sort of yeah get a, a calippo and then, and then back out there. So, yeah. Wary on Leeds, Joey. Two points above the relegation zone. Are they just going to kind of stumble over the line, like Duncan says? Probably they've got you know they've certainly got goals in them which the teams around them don't necessarily but I mean I think yeah they 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 could go down absolutely I mean would that be good for them no mm, no <laughs> sometimes I hear that about so. teams circling the drain don't we whether it feels like not sure it's it, ever true no <laughs> well Burnley Burnley right. is the Burnley yeah yeah but that well, is the exception that proves the rule I guess generally I mean I think it feels like Everton and Leicester are the, the two most in trouble if they go down. But Leeds would probably be third, I think. Uh, Nottingham Forest might well go down. They're going to Anfield this weekend. I was there the last time that Forest played there in 1998. A young Michael Owen got four of the five mm. goals. Uh, Liverpool fresh off hitting Leeds for six. Forest can't see Chris Wood for the trees at the moment. Um, 
help me out, Charlie. Is, is, there, is there any way that there's not just a, a massive gubbing for, for my beloved two-time European champions here? So, <laughs> <laughs> certainly everything, everything is uh, pointing that way. And I do, I do think it's interesting now whether Liverpool, I mean, I've been saying this all season, well, since they've been having bad results, whether they can do what they did two years ago and make a late dash for... Alisson at the back four. post. Mm. Well, yeah. But, I mean, they've got four out of the next five games are at home, and at home they've been brilliant this season. Nine points is the gap, and it's uh, Newcastle to, to fourth, which is Newcastle, who don't really have any experience of being in this position. I, I don't, I'm just curious to see it, because you were reminded, not just with them winning so well against Leeds, but the players they brought on, which was basically a reminder to you of like how many injuries they've had. I mean, they brought on Nunes, Firmino, Diaz and Thiago. It's pretty amazing. Um, so if they, and they're only, they, they're not in any other competition. I don't know. I think it's within them to win a good chunk of their remaining, what is it, eight games. Interesting contrast, isn't there, Joey, in the, in the two ownerships, I think, here. You've got Liverpool kind of saying, we're not going to go in for Bellingham. That's a little bit pricey for our money. And Evangelos Marinakis saying, we're just, just going to buy, buy everyone. everyone all the time and, and sack everyone who's not Steve Cooper yet. Yeah, and they do just look so sort of incohesive, don't they, on the pitch? Like, they don't really kind of remember the name of the person next to them. I mean, they obviously had that great run around New Year, but the wheels have, seem to have really come off. I wish I could say something more optimistic. <sighs> Gonna, <laughs> I mean, only two promoted teams have ever done a home and away double against Liverpool. Uh, Newcastle in 93, 94, Newcastle were good then. So that doesn't count. And then Blackpool in 2010, 11. Really? Which saw Liverpool. That was the swoop. end of Hodgson, wasn't it? It was the, 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 the Hodgson season. I think the def- wasn't the defeat, the away defeat. That was Blackburn, I think. Oh, maybe. But yeah. I remember they lost in, I think it would have been January, and it was like. Good grief, Liverpool yeah. are really doing terribly. I remember someone saying, like, we could, he was a Liverpool fan saying, we could go down this season after yeah. that Blackpool game. I mean, obviously, they reacted at the end of that season by going to Blackpool and, and taking Charlie Adam, didn't they? Mm. So, um, I mean, you could kind Can of John Joe Shelby if you like. Well, I was back. thinking maybe Morgan Gibbs White <laughs> might, might be more to Liverpool's uh, yeah, very good player. Um, liking if, if Forrest did go down, which obviously, Matt, I hope they don't. Thanks. Uh, yeah, what's happened to Jesse Lingard? Perma injured, I think. Um, Forgotten about that guy. Mm, yeah, that, that one didn't go so well. Um, Steve Cooper back at Liverpool, where he was the under-18s coach for a while. He helped develop Trent Alexander-Arnold, but uh, yeah, he probably won't enjoy going back there this weekend. Uh, there is a big date at the Palace. It's uh, it's not free to watch, but you won't need to chip in for a diamond-encrusted gold stake coach for this one. It's Crystal Palace against Everton. Um, Palace have already got a, a diamond-encrusted gold stake coach, haven't they? And, and free William Football's Roy Hodgson. Um, Everton supporters could be forgiven for wishing they weren't consorting with Sean Dyche, given their recent results. Duncan, I've got this down as maybe the only Premier League matchup where both managers will be wearing full suit. Yeah, I think you're right, actually. Um... And a firm handshake, mm. no hugging at all. But yeah, I mean... One arm on the shoulder of Hodgson from Deitch. Yeah, with a kind of whispered, yeah. uh, something in his ear. And, yeah. Hodgson and then a nod- cackle. <laughs> what yeah. a joke we just a shared. Proper football man's cackle, yeah. Um, yeah, Hodgson v Deitch in the Premier League. He, he, you can run from it, but it'll find you eventually. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, no one saw Crystal Palace's reaction. I mean, everyone, we, everyone was saying, weren't they, oh, they have got a run of easy fixtures after mm. the point Vieira was, was dismissed. but And we don't know how they would have got on under Vieira, but it just feels like 
sometimes a new manager bounces just because the players are re-energised and, and the kind of gloom of the previous regime has, has gone. And that's what it kind of feels. We all we knew that Palace had good players and now they're sort of showing it. And it's pretty worrying for Everton because Everton had that initial spell under Deitch, you know, beat Arsenal and a few other good results. But it really feels, was it one in one win in eight now? And it feels like they are kind of spiralling back down again so this is a palace are kind of safe now i'd say and but this is massive for everton and they said they've been so bad away from home and you know no decore again yeah that's a huge loss that is massive i mean calvert lewin it's really basic to say but he just does obviously make an enormous difference especially but, but to he a never team. plays does he, he yeah doesn't, and there comes a point where you have to move well, on from well, he did I think tweet didn't he this week saturday or something yeah training mm. he hasn't played since the first game dice's first game and was brilliant in that win Duncan mentioned against Arsenal, he was superb. I mean, I think if he... It's just such a big if, but they need him so badly because they just don't have a goal threat, really. With that. I mean, Mope played up front in the last game. He doesn't score goals. Um, and otherwise, they're playing with a false nine, which I don't think is sort of how Dyche would <laughs> ideally like to play. But Palace don't have a massive goal threat, right, Joey? Do they? They certainly have a, don't have a striker they can bank on to get 10, 15 goals a season, but they find other ways to get sort them. They have done. Dazzling array of, you know, sort of Man City esque forward line of Eze, Olise, Zaha. I mean, I, yeah, I don't think anyone saw this coming with, with Palace. Um, it's all great for Hodgson's legacy, I think, because it was all getting quite miserable at the end under him. And now he just comes back, mm. wins a load of games, keeps them up, job done, back to the allotment. Um, yeah, so that time of year we might see him. Yeah, and we might see him with his shades on. You know, like that, Ooh, yeah. Yeah. Watford last year. Yeah. Is that, that, um, that time of year, isn't it? The Watford fans hate him, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, it's Leicester City versus Wolves, um, which reeks of Saturday three o'clock, which is fine because that's when it's going down. It's, it's <laughs> Dean Smith's first home game. Uh, Diego Costa, John Terry reuniting, Jamie Vardy maybe doing that howling wolf celebration at the away end. Um, do you think, Duncan, that, that Vardy and John Terry get on? And if Jamie Vardy was having a party and John Terry was there, what would you do to, to not get invited to that? Um, I'd, yeah, I'd go quite a long way to not, not attend that one, actually. Um, I don't know. I can, I can see Vardy and Terry bonding, yeah. Um, with Mutual some, respect there. Yeah. Premier League, cut, cut from the icons. same cloth. They'll, they'll, they'll both be in the Premier League Hall of Fame within some point. Um, <laughs> I mean, this is a huge, huge game for Leicester. This is... This is the season, basically. I mean, this then leads away. Then Everton at home, yeah. the next three, and they did okay at, at times against City. But I mean, it is a huge job. I mean, again, we've just mentioned about Hodgson and Dyche re-emerging, but here's Dean Smith out of his chrysalis again. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, weirdly, these games. I mean, more Molyneux, but they do have a history of sort of really comebacks and high-scoring matches. Um, a couple of four threes. So it could it could be one of those kind of hell to skelter, late April, everything on the line, madness games. Um, and wasn't it a calamitous defeat against Wolves that did for Dean Smith at Villa last season as well? They lost at Villa five, Oh yeah, I went, God, that was dire. I went to that. Uh, it was two 0 in the 80th minute, and it was three uh, two. That was part of a run of five defeats, which I think the last one was a one nil. Lost at Southampton, but that was I think that was the first in the run of five. But Dean Smith, how he's still seen in a good light of Villa oh massively he's yeah. a you know a sort of icon I think it was maybe seen as the time when he lost five in a row and really rele properly relegation threatened having spent a lot of money I think people thought it was time for him to go like there were, I think there was a string of away games and no one wanted him to get a frosty reception at Villa Park mm. so I think that was seen as part of the major effect. no he's, he's loved by Villa but I think people uh, you know it was right to move on from him 
I think I, I quite like the, the cheery, I <laughs> can't believe I'm here after doing yeah. so terribly at Norwich. <laughs> Norwich. <laughs> that, that he's bringing to it. Is that going to be enough to, to get them over the line, Charlie? Uh, I don't know. I mean, it, he, he felt like a fairly sensible appointment because I do think, as Joey says, he, broadly speaking, he did do a really good job, Aston Villa. I don't know. I mean, Leicester, I, I really... He, he, you know, because they look like they stabilised. That's what was weird. A couple of times they look like they've stabilised and then uh, it's just really fallen apart for them. I don't know. Them and Everton, I I am increasingly thinking, might not have enough to stay out. It feels like we've both got managers with one syllable, first name and second name, like <laughs> Dean Smith, Sean Dyche. It feels like a very relegation battle sort of rhythm. James Madison's probably the best player in the bottom half of the league. I mean, if you exclude Chelsea. <laughs> and, and and financially, right, it, it makes a massive difference if they stay up the, the fee they'll command for him, presumably, because he's not going to hang around in the championship. So Harvey Barnes as well. All right. Uh, the other game is our Totally Football Show uh, mascot. Probably a bit harsh on a Premier League manager. But anyway, Gary O'Neill, the man that we're behind at the moment. He's got a reunion with his old club on Sunday, the Cherries of Bournemouth, hosting West Ham. O'Neill, part of the West Ham side, promoted to the Premier League a decade ago. Difficult not to see them carrying on this run, isn't it? West Ham playing on Thursday night. We yeah. don't know how they'll get on, but but Bournemouth, the form team at the moment. You'd think that would help Bournemouth, though people probably thought that would be the case against Arsenal last week, and actually West Ham got stronger as that went on. Um, Bournemouth were brilliant uh, against Spurs. They really, they were so impressive the way they played, and I think ultimately, you know, were, were good value to win the game. <laughs> Yeah, I think f- it, you would think then they would go on and get a result from this, but it's very... Re- I mean, I, they, I think that was the first time they'd won consecutive games in ages in the Premier League. So I don't think it's a given they'll carry that on against West Ham. I can see the the rhythm of the season makes me think maybe this is one that West Ham will get a result in just as you think, oh, boom. Often we thought, oh, they're safe. And then they lose the game. It's like, oh, actually, no, 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 they're not safe. So it wouldn't surprise me if West Ham went and won this one. Uh, I saw a tweet from a West Ham fan saying if they win the Conference League, this will be the least enjoyable, successful season ever. I mean, it's trending <laughs> one way, isn't it? Right? Has any team ever won a European trophy and got relegated? Obviously, Wigan won the FA Cup. Not, yeah, not in England. I'm sure it's happened. Well, it might happen somewhere. But yeah, it's pretty pretty rare. If, I mean, they, if they win it, they go into the Europa the League. League right? yeah. so they could do a Birmingham and be playing in the Europa League in the Championship. Millwall did that as well, didn't they? After the, losing the Cup final in 2004. Four. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think championship teams in the Europa League. I mean, if you talk about fixing congestion, yeah. that is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, big weekend in the Premier League then. That's pretty much everything covered, but it's all just been an appetizer for the main event. Next up, it's the Intertotally Cup. It's time for the Intertotally Cup with proceeds going to Prostate Cancer UK. To find out more about Prostate Cancer UK's work in football, join Prostate FC, the biggest team in football taking on the most common cancer in men. Save lives from the pitch, the sofa and the stands. Visit prostatecanceruk.org slash prostatefc. All right, it is match-up two in this year's Intertotally Cup. Somewhat awkwardly, I think I wasn't expected to progress, but I'm going to host this anyway, having booked my place in the last day. Uh, Charlie is still here, one question away from winning last year's final, Charlie. You've drawn Michael Cox in the opening round. I mean, if, you, if you're going to win it, you've got to beat the best, right? In a way. I'd rather <laughs> uh, I'd rather the best were just knocked out for me. Um, yeah, obviously a lot of trauma from last year, but you know, got to build on that. Uh, Joey, you've got got a front row seat for this. This is your first taste of the, the Intertotally. Can you, yeah, can you sense to, the tension? Great to see it live. 
I'm looking forward to hearing the anthems and you know seeing what happens. I mean, after the COVID era, it's great to see fans back in the stadium. <laughs> yeah, yeah, full attendances as well. It um, is so nice watching it, yeah. uh, rather than being the one who's having to answer the questions. Oh, your time will come. Uh, let's meet today's contestants then. Up first. He's competed in 12% of all Intertotally Cup fixtures ever. He is the daddy of data, the master of metrics. It's Duncan Alexander. Suitably hipster music choice I've never heard of, Duncan. Can you tell me what it is? Uh, That was Hugh Dallas by Mogwai. I think it's the only song named after the fourth official at the 2002 World Cup (laughs) final, but I'm I'm happy to be corrected. Damn, that's your fourth question. Uh, You've already got it. Uh, So, eliminated in the last 16 in 2020, quarter-finalist 21, semis last year. This is only trending one way. Yeah, back to the last 16, I think. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, let's meet your opponent. his opponent a controversial pick with Opta Quiz pedigree here to spoil the fun and eliminate your intertotally heroes the voice of the voiceless the seldom heard from it's producer Charlie this is quite incredible Charlie flexing your, your muscles to get yourself a spot in the quiz that to me says you're coming into this brimming with confidence yeah, I would have probably fixed an, an easier draw than Duncan and then uh, champion Daniel Story or Julian Luan in the uh, quarterfinals, maybe. But potentially an all-Charlie final as well. Charlie's on the other side of the bracket. That's what a, a lot of people are talking about right now. <laughs> uh, just to um, ensure the fairness, listener, uh, the artist formerly known as Producer Ben is producing this segment of the show to ensure that, that there's been no sleight of hand. Nick Miller has set the questions. I've got those. I can assure you that Charlie hasn't seen them. Uh, as Charlie says the winner faces either the defending champion Daniel Story or Julian Laurence in the quarterfinals. You also get a £10 wager, which live score bet will place uh, on a bet of your choice. The winners go to Prostate Cancer UK. Duncan, what's your bet? Uh, I'm going for both Manchester teams to win the semi-finals this weekend. Okay, sounds like a good one to me. What about you, Charlie? I'm going for Alexis McAllister to score any time against Man United because he takes the penalties. All right, good shout. Uh, Duncan, you're up first. Five questions each. Here's your first. Which Italian World Cup winner is currently manager of Fatih Karagumruk in the Turkish Super League? Apologies to our Turkish listeners for that pronunciation. Well, I've got a Turkish weak spot. Um, Turkish delight. Uh, Cannavaro? Cannavaro is incorrect, I'm afraid. Uh, Anybody in the studio know the answer? Mm, No idea was Andrea Pirlo. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Okay, so you're 0 for 1, Duncan. Uh, which club links Sven Joran Eriksson, Giovanni Trapattoni, Bruno Lage, and Ronald Koeman? Benfica? Benfica is right, and you are on the board. Question three. Who was the last club to have won the Bundesliga who isn't Bayern Munich or Borussia Dortmund? I mean, pre pre you're going back to the 1940s. Uh, <laughs> I think... Uh, is, it, is it Wolfsburg? It is Wolfsburg. Two from three. Say what? Three's probably par. Uh, here's your fourth question. Colo Toure managed which championship team this season? 
Uh, Wigan Athletic. Straight away. Okay, so this to go four from five, which is um, which is pretty good. Who was appointed as Qatar manager after the World Cup? It's that World Cup blind spot we were talking about. Mm. Um, oh, I know. I can. This is on the end. I'm going to regret not getting this if I don't get it. No. It's gone. International mercenary for hire. Apt appointment. Anyone want to pinch it? Carlos Quiroz. Carlos Quiroz. Uh, I mean, that should, should just answer Quiroz to anything <laughs> yeah. to do with international management. All right, so three. Not bad, but the door's ajar for mm. you, Charlie. Uh, here's your first question. Which Italian World Cup winner was sacked by Valencia earlier this season? Uh, Rino Gattuso. Or Gennaro Gattuso. Yeah, would have accepted Reno, but uh, good to get the full name in there, and you are absolutely correct. Uh, question two, which club links Sven Joran Eriksson, Giovanni Trapattoni, Claudio Ranieri, and Luciano Spalletti? Can you say those names again? Sorry. Sven Joran Eriksson, Giovanni Trapattoni, Claudio Ranieri, and Luciano Spalletti. Pensive. Chin it's stroke. either Lazio or Roma. I don't think Spalletti's been at Lazio, so I'm going to say Roma. Two for two for the producer. Here's question number three. PSG have won Ligue 1 in eight of the last ten seasons. Which two clubs have won the others? Lille. Lille is correct. And uh, Montpellier. Oh, I'm afraid that is not right. Uh, does anybody know who the other was? Monaco. Monaco, right. Well, that is... I'd have, I'd have said Montpellier as well. <laughs> really? It's added some, yeah. uh, some jeopardy. Uh, here is question number four. So you've got two so far, Charlie. Which League Two club is owned by Wagme United, a group of American NFT and cryptocurrency traders? League Two? Yes. I know Crawley are the crypto boys so I'm going to have to say Crawley you would be absolutely right Chuck. <laughs> Joey's all over that one right so it's 3-3 three, three. Crawley a couple of times <laughs> <laughs> need to get this Charlie otherwise we go to a tiebreaker we do have a tiebreaker question Cristiano Ronaldo's manager Al Nasser recently left his job name that manager uh, Rudy Garcia he's done it and he's through well done, Charlie. Nice handshake between Classy the two at the end. Yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. Pursed your lips, though, Duncan, as if you were kind of, I mean, it hurts, doesn't it? It hurts. Um, but, you know, if I'm going to go out to someone, someone with a pedigree, I mean, I think, I think Charlie's a, a good outside bet for the whole thing. Not ideal scheduling-wise to have the producer go deep in the tournament, Charlie, but that's for you to handle logistically and you'll, you'll take it just to get a place in the last eight, right? Yeah, I didn't. I didn't. I was worried that you know when um, uh, Beyonce headlined Glastonbury and Tricky made a, a, a cameo on stage for like a minute and like nobody knew what he was doing there and uh, why he was there. I was worried that that's what this was going to be. So I'm I'm relieved that I've made it through to, to the next round. You're the Beyonce in that. In that oh, I'm happy to take that. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> when are you performing at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium? Uh, Friday. The annoying Haringey Council by tacking on an extra night. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm you know losing to Charlie as well. I can call in favours on the old editing front going forward. <laughs> Congratulations, producer Charlie. You're through to the next round of the Enter Totally Cup. And if you also want in on Charlie's bet that Alexis McAllister will score any time for Brighton against Man United at Wembley this weekend, it's priced at 16-5 to 5 at livescorebet.com or on the Livescore Bet app. 
Odds are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Full account terms apply. And of course, please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. The tiebreaker, by the way, was what was the official attendance at the 2022 World Cup final? Closest wins. Joey, give me a guess. Uh, 79,500. Duncan? 91,200. 75,000. Yeah, I instinctively would have gone 80,000 was my... First guess. Duncan, you're the closest. It was 88,966. Um, I take that into Can you be a moral system. winner of a tiebreaker? <laughs> <laughs> right, well done, Charlie. You're through. That's going to do it for this edition of the Totally Show. We'll be back on Monday with another. Until then, enjoy the feast of football that awaits this weekend. We'll catch up with you again soon. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Discover bonus video content by searching for The Totally Football Show on YouTube and see the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an athletic media company production and sponsored by LiveScore Bet. Get the latest football betting odds at livescorebet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. The Athletic.